Our scripture reading today is from Romans 8, beginning with verse 15. Hear the word of the Lord. For you did not receive a spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received a spirit of adoption when we cry, Abba, Father. It is that very spirit bearing witness with our spirit that we are children of God. And if children, then heirs, heirs of God and joint heirs with Christ, if, in fact, we suffer with him so that we may also be glorified with him. The word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Uh, So we're going to have a little contest. Uh, I want to see who got up earliest this morning. All right, so we'll just start with probably something that ever, most everybody did, at least. Who got up before 8 o'clock? All right, who got up before 7.30? Just keep them on up. Who got up before 7? Who got up before 6.30? All right, before 6? All right, we got two left before 5.30? Maybe, all right, before, but, but not before 5, it looks like. Before 5? Maybe, possibly. Either way, you two are the winners. Congratulations. You have been awake longer than everybody else. You did not beat uh, Gerald Jatan or Angela Boyd. They got up at 3.30 in the morning for some reason. Um, that, uh, you know, who knows when they went to bed. They don't necessarily get credit for that. But y'all are the winners. Y'all are the winners here. You've been awake for the longest. Uh, now, perhaps you're morning people. I don't know. Um... Some of us are morning people and some of us aren't. If you're a morning person, this, this analogy may not apply to you. I'm not a morning person for the most part. I'm like a mid-morning person. It takes me a little while to get going. And I may get up early, but that doesn't mean I've liked it, right? So I, you wake up, and at first you wake up to sort of, at least in my case, to dread. Um, you, you know the day's coming. I don't know if I can get that leg out of the bed. But then, after a while, I've, I've been awake, and the dread has passed, and I've been awakened to uh, you know, enthusiasm for the day. Eventually, I get there, but it takes going through some stages of being um, awakened. Some stages of waking up. And John Wesley says, uh, drawing from this passage in Paul's letter to the Romans, that for uh, we as Christians, it is something like that as well. We awaken to God in stages. That we begin um, basically disregarding our sins uh, as what he calls the natural man or the natural person. You're just going along, you're asleep, you're ignorant. Uh, You pay no attention to God, more or less. And then that we may be awakened into fear where we realize the consequences of our sin. We realize the reality of our lives. But that's not the final step. Then we can be awakened into the love of God where we can love God as he's called us to, where we can love our neighbors as God has called us to. And so that the grace of God works at each of those steps to draw us closer and closer to Him. Now, if we think back over what we've been doing for the last uh, couple of weeks in the current sermon series, as you recall, we are uh, going through some of the basic principles of Christianity that we get from uh, John Wesley's sermons. 
And the first message was about the image of God. We are made in the image of God uh, to reflect God's love into the world. But that then we have fallen into original sin, that was the second sermon. And so that everything that we do is marred. That we can't please God on our own, that we need God in our lives to awaken us to the sort of life that we should live. And then last week, uh, we heard the message of free grace, that God's grace is free in all and free for all, so that everyone has the opportunity to respond to him. And then for Wesley, this is how that happens. This is how we lay hold of God's grace, that we may be awakened, that we may, bec- be, that we may become the kind of people that he has called us to be. So first there's the natural man, the natural person, us just sort of before we realize, before we have God in our lives. And, and Wesley compares that to a state of sleep. And we are ignorant of ourselves. We don't really pay much attention to the way that we live our lives. We just sort of go about doing what we do. Um, We don't pay any attention to whether what we're doing is right or wrong, really. We just live the way that we want to live. We are in that state, ignorant of God. We don't pay attention to um, what God has taught us through Scripture. We don't listen to God through the Holy Spirit. Um, We're basically blind. We're just sort of going, we're sort of going through life, ignorant of ourselves and ignorant of God, taking no time to repent, to ask God to be in our lives. We're just sort of going about life uh, and not really paying any attention. It's sort of like, um, do you remember the Roadrunner cartoons? And you remember the Roadrunner will run off the cliff and he would just sort of keep going. And Wile E. Coyote, chasing after him, would run off the cliff and uh, is going and is going and is running and he's midair and then he looks down and he realizes that he's in the middle of the air and then he, the fall comes. Okay? The state of the natural man is Wile E. Coyote when he's still running before he's realized that he's midair and that the fall is coming and that there's going to be consequences for what he has done wrong. That is the state of the natural person. We just sort of go about life. Uh, To draw another analogy, it's like walking along a cliff at night, and there's a precipice right there, but we're just walking, and we don't realize it. Uh, And we don't realize the danger that we're in. That's what it's like to be blind in the way of the natural person, the person who is in original sin, who hasn't realized the grace of God given to him or her. And we might think of a person like that and we feel sorry for them. Like, oh, you know, they don't know. They don't know about themselves. They don't know about God. But, uh, you know, the, the natural person in us can be disguised in a lot of ways. It can be disguised through education. And say, well, you have all the right opinions. You know all the right things. And it looks like you're successful in terms of the world. But just because a person is educated... Um, doesn't mean that that person has knowledge of uh, himself or knowledge of herself. It doesn't mean that person has knowledge of God. And so sometimes that can serve to disguise and make someone look like they are wise, but really they're foolish in the eyes of God. It can hide through wealth as well. And this goes for all of us. I mean, we live in one of the most educated and wealthy countries in the world, and even those who are not well off in our own community have opportunities that people elsewhere couldn't imagine. 
And so because we have easy access to things that please us, it's easy for us to just sort of go along life and oh, I'm going to enjoy life as it has come to me. And you know, I have all these things that uh, make for the good life and I, can, uh, and I can just enjoy it. And that's sort of how our celebrity culture in America, it feeds that idea that we can uh, be sort of happy and healthy and wealthy and wise and you can achieve the American dream and that's what it looks like to live a meaningful life. Wesley would say that for such a person, um, you're really still in the natural state. You haven't taken any, uh, you haven't paid any attention to what God has called you to do and be. And you know, sometimes that uh, condition in a person can dress itself up in Christian language, where we will say things like, well, you know, everybody's a sinner. And what we mean by that isn't uh, that I have taken account of the depth of my sin that I share in common with everyone else, but we mean, ah, you know, it's not that big a deal. It's not that big a deal. Everybody does wrong. God loves me anyway, and we don't reckon with what it means to come to terms with um, the wrongness in our lives. We might say, and Wesley says that people would cite this in his day, you know, the righteous man stumbles seven times and and gets up and keeps on going. Wesley says that passage is not talking about, is not talking about uh, sinning and paying basically no mind to it. Uh, Now, I'm going to pick on a country music song. And I'm sorry if this is your favorite singer. And if you don't know this song, just don't worry about this analogy. Uh, Eric Church sings a song called Sinners Like Me. And I don't know if y'all have heard this song. And the, the chorus is like, you know, la-dee-dee, la-dee-dah. Uh, I come from a long line of sinners like me. He's like, oh, it's no big deal. You know, we're all kind of sinners. And then the, then, the last, uh, then the last, you know, verse is, uh, you know, me and Jesus got it worked out. I'm going to stand in a long line of sinners like me. Now, it could, I don't know anything about Eric Church or anything, so he may be a great guy, a great Christian who just wrote sort of a bad, theologically bad song, right? Um, but what, that, uh, what that, uh, that song seems to imply is that, ah, you know, everybody's a sinner, it doesn't matter, God loves you, God will save you, and we skip repentance, we skip, intro, we skip looking at hard at our own lives, we skip God calling us to do something more, skip being called to holiness. Now, we shouldn't, you know expect a country song to do too much theology or doctrine. So I'm not trying to be too hard on it. But that reveals, that reveals sort of how we very commonly in our culture think of what it means to be a Christian. Now everybody's a sinner, no big deal, God loves you, keep on going. Right? Wesley says that won't do. And it won't do according to the scripture. Because what we see there is that God is a holy God. Yes, God is a God of love, but God also is a God who can't abide sin. And that sin is so pervasive in the world and has made things go so awry in our own lives that it has to be dealt with and that God can't abide by it. And so God wakes us up out of the natural state where we don't care about such things and gives us fear. And that is the grace of God working in our lives. It is actually a good thing when that happens because it means that God is doing something with us to wake us up, to move us toward him. Wesley says when you have this kind of fear, you might be properly called a servant of God, even if not yet God's son. And he says that uh, it is that such people who have the fear of God aren't far from the kingdom of heaven. This is a good thing when we start 
to be aware of the consequences of our sin, and when we start to fear those consequences even. Wesley will say this, you know, this, it can come sort of gradually that people are awakened to this. He says, perhaps in a moment, perhaps by degrees, the eyes of this kind of person's understanding are open. And now first, the veil being in part removed, he discerns the real state he's in. Horrid light breaks in on his soul, such light as may be conceived to gleam from the bottomless pit, from the lowest deep, from a lake burning with fire and brimstone. At last he sees the loving, merciful God is also a consuming fire, and that he is a just God and a terrible one, rendering to every man according to his works, entering into judgment with the ungodly for every idle word, yea, for the imagination of the heart. And now he clearly perceives that the great and holy God is of purer eyes than to behold iniquity, and that he is the avenger of everyone who rebels against him and repays the wicked to his face, and that it is a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. Wesley says when you realize that, when you realize that God must deal with sin, that means that you're starting to wake up and you're starting to realize the grace of God. You're starting to see yourself as you really are, to see yourself naked, he says. And your false sense of security that you had in the natural state when you went la-di-di-di-da through the world begins to end. And that can manifest itself in anguish and grief um, and even fear. And so many of us, you know, we carry around these fears. We have fears about our salvation, Fears, you know, does God really love me? People uh, fear that they haven't believed hard enough or fear that, you know, maybe I don't belong to the right denomination. They fear about the security of their own life. They fear about the end of the world. Oh, no, I don't want that day when Jesus comes back, even though I pray every time I pray the Lord's Prayer, thy kingdom come, thy will be done. We fear hell itself. We fear the circumstances of our life. Uh, Will I be able to provide? Am I safe? What if I suffer? And we go through anxiety and despair and anguish. And all of those things are, at least in one sense, a good thing. Because it means that God is waking us up. So if that's you today, if you're anxious about your spiritual state, if you are worried that you haven't believed enough, if you're worried about... Uh, you know, does God really love me? If you are worried about the state of your soul, that's a good thing. It's a sign of the grace of God because it means that your ears are open and your eyes are open, that you're no longer wandering in blindness, but that you're beginning to realize, that you're beginning to realize uh, the grace of God. But Wesley tells us, and Paul tells us in the passage that we just read, that we as Christians aren't meant to abide in that state. That we're not meant to live in bondage to fear. But that instead we've been called not to bondage in fear, but rather to adoption, to the knowledge that we are loved by God. And that we may look not simply at ourselves and our own shortcomings, but that we may look to God as he has been revealed in Jesus. And so we go from those who are under the law or under bondage to sin or under bondage of fear and then to being under grace, to to having what he calls the spirit of adoption. 
where our eyes are opened to the loving and gracious God, where we can look at Christ who was murdered so that we can live, where we know that God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself and making him who knew no sin to be uh, a sin offering for us, to bear the consequences of sin for us so that in him we might be made the righteousness of God. And then we know that, yes, God is merciful and long-suffering and abundant in goodness and in truth. That's what God wants to wake us up for. That's why he gave us the fear in the first place, so that we may move out of ignorance into fear and ultimately into love. And Wesley says when we know the love of God in that way, when we know the love that has been given to us in Christ in that way, then the power of guilt and sin is broken in us. And the power of fear is broken in us. And our heaviness, he says, turns to joy. And um, our bondage to fear ends because we believe in Jesus. And that's where ends our fear of the wrath of God because we know that God's wrath has been turned away from us and has been uh, born by Jesus himself. And that's where ends our fear of Satan because we know that greater is he that is in us than he that is in the world. And that's where ends the fear of hell because we know that we're citizens of the kingdom of God. And that's where ends our fear of death because we know that in Christ, death has been swallowed up in victory. And that's when we have the spirit of adoption, Paul says by which we can cry to God as Father, as Abba Father. Abba is just the Aramaic word for Father, where we know that God is the God who loves us and has given himself for us so that we can be his. And to call us to holiness, to break the power of sin in our life, and to make us into a new creation. And so Wesley says, we should examine ourselves We should ask God to open our eyes to where we really are. If we're in the natural state where we're not even paying attention, or if we're in uh, this state of bondage to fear, where we begin to become God's servants, or where perhaps we uh, know the love of God in our lives and we have the spirit of adoption. Now this isn't to say that you have to be perfectly Uh, in this last state to be one of God's people. That's not what he's saying. Rather, he's saying that we shouldn't cut short the call of God to holiness and that we should always be examining our lives. We should always be asking God to show us where, um, where we are experiencing fear, where we know love, so that ultimately we can be made perfect as Christ um, has called us to be. And so ask yourself, are you governed by your belly? Are you governed by your fear? Or are you governed by the love of God? It can be mixed in your own soul. You can be partially um, in the natural state and you're more or less just going along life, but you have this little tinge of fear. And that's how you begin to realize that God is doing something with you. And perhaps you're sort of mingled with fear and love. You know that you love God, and you know that God loves you, but you have these lingering anxieties. 
And then the call is for God to show you where those things are in your life so that you can deal honestly with yourself and with God. Now, some of y'all have been following Jesus since you were kids, and you don't ever really remember being in that state of fear, right? And that's a good thing. I hope that our young folks here never know a time where they weren't sure that God loved them and that they loved God. But as my friend Chad put it as we were talking about this passage, sometimes it's in retrospect that we know this. We know that we love God. We know that we're his child. But we also, it's important for us to sort of look and ask, where would we be without the love of God? And so we can recognize that proper fear that comes from God's grace, even while we are um, knowing that God loves us and that we love God. This is the call to go on in uh, discipleship, to run with perseverance the race that's been set for us, to continue to grow with Jesus, and to continue to learn what it means to be his child, to be one of those that Christ has adopted and made a co-heir with Christ so that we may live in his kingdom. So what I want us to do now is to spend just a little time, just a, just a few moments, to um, Pray sort of silently uh, and to ask ourselves where we are with God. Are we even awake? I mean, have we been even paying attention to the call of God in our lives? Perhaps some of us are just barely out of that natural state and we need to hear the call of God to recognize the reality of sin in our life and the call to go on beyond that to love. Perhaps some of us Uh, And even some of us who know that we love God um, have these lingering fears that need to be dealt with. Because it's in dealing with those fears that we um, come to love God more and more. We become to be more and more who he has called us to be. So perhaps we need to ask ourselves, where are we fearing in our lives? And perhaps all of us need to ask, how do we know and experience the love of God in my life? And how am I living in response to the love of Christ that's been offered to me? So let's take a little while and, um, and we'll just pray in silence for a few moments. And uh, pray where you are. If you want to come up here and pray, that is fine too. And we'll just pray for a little bit uh, to deal with some time between you and God. And then after a while, we'll sing uh, our last hymn and then go forth to live the life that God has called us to live. Let's pray with one another.
Lord Christ, wake us up today. Awaken us out of ignorance and blindness and into fear that we may realize the consequences of failing to be who you've called us to be. And Lord, don't leave us in fear, but awaken us from fear. Wake us up so that we may know your love for us. We may love you fixing our eyes on your sacrifice for us, trusting in you alone, and hearing your call to live as you've called us to live and to be who you've called us to be. Lord, we pray to you, knowing that we can trust you and knowing that you will speak to us not only in this hour, but every hour of our lives if we will listen to you. Lord, we pray. Lord, we listen. Lord, we love you. Amen.